0: Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello everybody, the warmest of welcomes to the Simon Speaks podcast and to this episode. I'm really pleased in this particular instalment to welcome Jo Berry. Uh, Jo is an expert in conflict resolution and she speaks all about finding purpose after adversity and building resilience and she's a, a, an expert in this topic spoken all over the world and i'm very keen to find out about some of her experiences including a tedx and, and many other things that she's been involved with uh, including now being the director of, uh, of building bridges so i want to find out about all these things um so joe please warmest of welcomes introduce yourself if you would and uh, tell us a little bit about the work that you're that you're doing
1: Oh thank you that was a wonderful welcome i'm going to use some of the, those expressions that you said about myself um so my my work is my passion it's my life's work and it did all come from adversity it all did start when i was in my 20s and i lost my father in a terrorist attack and a long time ago the ira was setting off bombs in and all over Northern Ireland and and in England and in London, so I did did know that the IRA were around, but it never occurred to me that my father, who was a Conservative politician, that he would be targeted. Well, it was the whole, the whole government was targeted, um, and it's absolutely a miracle that only five were killed because it was a massive bomb that went off in the Grand Hotel in in Brighton in 1984, um, and that, I mean, that was life changing in many ways. You know, there was the Grief of losing my dad, who I adored and was very close to. But then there was also the reality of now being part of a war. That's how I saw it. I'm part of a violent conflict. I no longer live in peacetime. And uh, at 27, I I was determined to find a way to bring some meaning out of that, find a way to bring something positive. So if I can bring something positive, then despite the trauma and the horror then I'm going to be okay and that was just two days after the bomb went off that I made that commitment and it's been a long journey
0: <laughs> yeah I mean, it just it, it's so powerful because I'm I'm 28 so I'm about that age and and uh, you know I try and I try and put myself in your shoes as you're talking imagine what it, what it must feel like you know, if that was if to that happen to my father at this sort of age, would I be able to even begin to think about doing anything that you've done in terms of your journey through that? Because I, I know that you met Patrick McGee. Mm. And, and it's one thing to then go through that experience with your own family involved, but then to meet the person that was responsible mm. 16 years after, I believe it was. Yeah. yeah. How... Um, such a unique experience can you can you take me back there what what did you do
1: yeah well we had the peace process which was amazing time um finally i think it was in 97 98 uh the agreements were made and part of that agreement was that those in prison who were there as political prisoners were released and so that meant that all the combatants from the lawless side from the republican side all came out and I remember turning on the tv and I was in um 99 in June and there was the, the the one the only person who'd ever been sentenced for planting the bomb I mean there were I'm pretty sure three people but only one was ever caught and I didn't know I did not know he was coming out of prison that day I had no idea we were meant to be prepared but no one told us and I was very shocked and, and angry. You know, I thought, this isn't, this isn't fair. He's got the rest of his life and my dad can't come back. But then I thought, well, the bigger picture is important. You know, there is peace now. Less people are going to be killed. Um, and this is part of the bigger picture. So, you know, there was a purpose to it. So I welcomed it. And then I had the idea, well, maybe now I can meet him. Maybe this is a time when I could go and meet him. And it took about 18 months and lots happened during that time, including getting some support for my own trauma, finally. Mm. Um, and the opportunity, I made the opportunity to meet him. Now, I never, ever meant to go public. <laughs> it was very personal. I'm just going to cross from Hollyhead over to Dublin and meet him for an evening and that would be it. right? Um, and... I didn't meet him to change him. I didn't meet him to get an apology because that wouldn't mean anything to me. No, I just met him to bring a human face to the the most. He he was the most demonized terrorist we had at that time. Obviously, things have changed. You know, he was just seen as sort of beyond evil, and I wanted to see him as a human being. If I if I could humanize him. That was going to help me bring some humanity back, something I'd lost when the bomb went off. And I went off on my own, very scared, and not knowing whether I'd want to, you know, whether I'd be angry, whether I want to blame him. What actually happened was that I I listened to him deeply, probably listened to him in a way I've never listened to any other human being. And as I listened to him, I was also listening to myself because there were parts of me that were finding it hard to be there in the room with him. I had some very odd voices in my head. But then, you know, it, it was a very, obviously, it was a huge thing to do. I was way out of my comfort zone. But I was so focused and intent on seeing him as a human being. So I was asking questions and listening. And he was, you know, he was full of political justification because, he saw himself as part of the oppressed. And my dad represented the power which had oppressed his community. Mm. And he talked about how he had, first of all, been committed to nonviolence and that hadn't worked. And then his struggle to decide to use violence. So there was a political decision for him. And I remember thinking, mm, this is um, this is difficult to hear justification. It's, it's difficult. But I've seen he's someone who thinks deeply. He got a PhD in prison. You know, he's a deep thinker. I could see he cared for his community. So he's no longer this faceless enemy. He's a human being. And I thought, I'm going to go now. No one need ever know I've met him, but I've got what I need for me. And then he stopped talking and he changed. And that's when he said he didn't know who he was anymore. And could he hear my anger and my pain? And he would later say that he was completely disarmed by my empathy, and he could no longer sit there justifying. And he began to be realised that he'd demonised the other in the same way he accused the other of demonising him, and that's the nature of, you know, violent conflict. And he's beginning to see my dad as a wonderful human being, and so the conversation was very different after that. He moved from using the word we instead of saying I with some vulnerability. So obviously I stayed. I had to stay, and another journey started. And it was one where I had no idea where it was going to take us. You know, it was in those early days. I was so out of my depth, but I was compelled to go back and meet him a second and a third time.
0: It's such an extraordinary story, and. I have said this on the podcast before when I've had chance to interview people, because one of the common threads that binds a lot of the guests that I interview together is that they've all experienced some kind of extraordinary adversity in their own life. But rather than be consumed by it or allow it to, to break them, they've somehow managed to find the character and the resilience to turn that experience, whether whether quickly or, or very gradually, over the, sometimes over the course of a lifetime, and allow that experience to let them empathize with others to a point where they now transform other people's lives because of what's, what's happened to them. I suppose the question I have because of that is, is when you had that experience in 1984 and you said within a couple of days, you'd start to make some of these, these decisions. Can you put your finger on what, what it was about you as an individual, perhaps something you'd been instilled with or something you'd remembered that made you decide you wanted to find meaning in that experience rather than be victimised and consumed by it?
1: Uh, Yes, I've been thinking about that. And the clues are in the person I was before the bomb went off, which I think is always going to be the case. You know, that there are... It's impossible to predict, you know, but there are certain signposts that maybe I I would respond differently. And... And one of them was that I was really interested in peace, but interested in peace from an inner sense of the word. And I was, I spent a couple of years meditating in the Himalayas, living in a little hut without electric and water, and living very, very simply, and really wanting there to be peace in the world. That was my passion. But I saw it in a very different way, much more detached. And I did write. Um, and I wrote an essay for a competition in 1980 for Time Map magazine. And I was, you know, I was not someone who, who liked to write essays. <laughs> this is very unusual. But the title got me inspired and I found it the other day. It's a bit embarrassing. But anyway, the subject of the of the essay was what relevance does Gandhi's ideas and nonviolence have in London in 1980? And someone who didn't like writing, like I spent ages writing that, you know, and it's because I was always thinking about. I, mean, I remember growing up with Vietnam War on the TV, and then the Northern Irish conflict, and always wanting peace. And that was something that, you know, I thought about. And I think if if I'd been around now, the last ten years, I would have probably done a degree in in some of the amazing courses that are at university. But the you know, we didn't have those courses back then. You know, I might have gone on to study and research. But I didn't, you know, didn't go in that direction. So if I hadn't gone on this journey, then I would have given up on the person I had been who believe who did believe that peace was possible and that I could make a contribution. So I think that's what it was. But in terms of being able to be with my emotions and resilience and emotional intelligence, you know, I, I really had zero emotional intelligence. I mean, maybe that's a bit harsh, but you know, I did not know how to operate on an emotional level at all I used meditation to escape from feeling and that no longer was going to work so I stopped meditating at that time you know, and so I really had to learn from the beginning and um, with no support because we, we were given nothing back in 84 I mean I, I'm supporting victims of terrorism now and trying to change how they get support and it's still possible people to get no support but at least now we know that you know people do need former support after these events you know we, we have progressed um back then you know no one had any understanding that i might need some help and so i i haven't exactly gone on a straight line and there have been some very difficult times but out of that i would say now you know i am resilient you know and i do know how to look after myself and i'm not scared of my feelings or anyone else's feelings but that that's been a long journey
0: mm-hmm. But it's a journey that's borne so much fruit. You know, I look at some of the things that you've you've been privileged to do, you've spoken all over the world and, and you have done your TEDx talk and now you're the CEO of of your charity Building Bridges of, of Peace. And and it's an extraordinary journey that just keeps on giving. And and I find that remarkable in light of where you started from. It's a difficult question to ask and I'm, I'm might be a difficult one to answer, but but in light of what you've been able to do with the experience that you had mm. and the good that you've been able to do in so many people's lives, if you were given a chance to, to change anything that's happened to you, would you?
1: That is a very hard question. And of course I would rather my dad hadn't been killed. I mean, that's simple. You know. um, since he was killed you know, then I've had to make something of it. And I remember saying to my youngest daughter sometime, oh, I've been so lucky I've got these amazing opportunities. And she went, no, mum, you've made all this happen. You know, and I was like, oh, yeah, that is true. That, like, there have been lots of coincidence and miracles, like incredible things have happened to me. But I've step by step, you know, carried on, even when things were really tough. You know, it could be baby steps. I could perhaps go back a little bit, but somehow there's always something in me that I get up again and off I go, <laughs> and then like there's no stopping me.
0: Mm. That tenacity is 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 inspiring, um, and and it's so good to to just hear from somebody that's that's utilised those experiences to to do so much good. Thank you. you you've spoken over the world, and you. Obviously, now I do a lot of work on on conflict resolution. Hmm. What sort of conflicts do people bring to you, and and how do you help them with it?
1: Hmm. Well, that's a big question. Um, you know, I I guess I'm doing different things every day. You know, I have a I have a role um, locally as a restorative justice facilitator. Um, and it's interesting, when I, when I have that role and that hat on, then I'm there as a volunteer and no one knows my backstory. But the skills I'm using are very much the skills I've been learning you know, since 84. Um, but people approach me with either their personal conflict. It could be they got conflict in their marriage. Um, I've just been asked to resolve a conflict for a group around here. Um, maybe I can give you a big example with that. So I'm just about to start. And there's four people, and they were working together, creating something amazing locally, and it's had to stop because of the dynamics between the four of them. And so what I would do would be to listen to all four of them separately. And I would use that time to really... I mean, they've all gone through some kind of emotional pain, or they wouldn't have come to me, would to stop. So, you know, listen to the pain. To me, being listened to is the first step in healing, and to be listened where we are without someone saying you know you should be further or you know i felt the same pain or minimize it or therapize it no just listen completely listen witness acknowledging validating and i believe that when and this is from my experience what's happened to me that when we feel really held and acknowledged it allows us to move from feeling maybe helpless overwhelmed to seeing what we need next, yeah. seeing our next step that might take time. So I'll do the listening for all four of them. And they'll, you know, I've been learning the ability to, I will believe all, f- all four of their experiences. So they could have completely different experiences, of the same thing that's happened. I mean, they will. they will, they will. They all have their own versions of it and they're all true. And I, I'm not going to believe that one, there's no point in me will sort of go, well, they're more right than them. You know they're all right, they're all valid, they're all valid experiences. And then once I've listened to them and then I ask them well what what they like to happen, what do they need?" And when I feel they're ready to hear each other, and I've clarified what they want to achieve, then I'll bring the four of them together, and then we'll have a conversation with ground rules, and in turn they'll all listen to, to each other's experiences, um, and you know we'll see what happens. Now I wouldn't bring the four of them together if one of them was still this isn't a judge but if if I do risk assessment and someone's so angry and in blaming mode and wouldn't wouldn't listen you know i wouldn't wouldn't bring them together so i if i mean I've worked in cases of murder um, just more like normal murder, and you know I'd only bring the victim together with the perpetrator if he has the capacity to really listen. Otherwise it could re-victimize the victim. So I mean, this work requires huge amount of care and sensitivity. And, you know, when I met Pound Tremiggy, there was no one there to facilitate it or do risk assessments. And looking back on it, I did my own and I facilitated it because no one would do it. I did try, but no no one would take us on. Um, So when I do this work, it's very, very much about preparation, emotional safety and to create that listening space and it's not for me to come up with any solutions because I don't know the answers. So I'm just holding that space for them to have that conversation. And if I need to remind them of the ground rules or remind them of something they want to say, they haven't said, I can do that. But I'm not going to come up with the solutions. They will come up with what they need to do. And it might take more than one. You know, I haven't even started that yet. So I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, and I will be doing a course on conflict transformation I haven't decided what to call it yet but it's going to be like the gift of conflict or how just something positive about how we can because a lot of people are really scared of conflict and and it's something they maybe they either want to avoid or you know they get caught up in it and feel hurt so I'm going to be looking at how we can respond differently I'm going to be doing a course like everyone online at the moment (laughs) um like a four week course to support people in taking this into their own lives and it's about me sharing my process and what's worked with me you know i can then share that with other people
0: i think that sounds really intriguing and i think it's something that a lot of people will will certainly if not immediately but but certainly acknowledge that they do need uh, because i think a lot of us have some sort of unresolved conflict uh, in our lives that that we that we are dealing with, and and I love uh, one of the lines in your biography. In fact, I'm, I'm just going to share it. It says here, "Learning to turn your emotional pain into your gift," and I think that's a beautiful expression because sometimes we we don't always understand why we're going through pain. Uh, and In fact, I'm preparing a speech at the moment called "The Purpose of Pain" uh, to try and woo, better understand this topic myself because. I have experienced things in my life that that to some extent I still don't understand that I'm working on, but I think you've helped just with that sentence because what it is is you've experienced something and what you do further down the road is you might come across somebody who's perhaps enduring a similar kind of pain or enduring something that you might have some degree of empathy for, at which point you can then use what you've been through as as a gift to them and perhaps teach them from, from your experience. I was very terrified of speaking to people when I was younger. And a lot of the coaching work I do now is about helping people overcome that fear of talking to people. And one of the things I've loved about this podcast, especially over the last year, is being able to have conversations with people that I might never have had otherwise if I hadn't conquered enough fear to be able to reach out and say, would you like to have a conversation? And now when I meet other people who are scared to talk to people, I can use the the hurt and the shame and, and the the difficult emotions I had in my past to help them reach out and have more meaningful conversations and, and transform their lives. So not not completely to the extent that you have, but, but to some extent, I do understand that process of taking something that you experienced and using it as a gift to, su- to support and lift other people. I just think it's a tremendous statement that has so much depth in it that people might not uh, recognize until they really sit down and, and think about it.
1: Oh, I can't wait um, like
0: to hear your new speech. I, yeah, I'm going to deliver, I'm delivering it in a few weeks time as part of a contest, uh, in, in Leeds. And, uh, ah. it's one of the, um, I, I always get the title long before I finalize the speech, but, but, uh, I had an experience a few weeks ago. Um, a lot of the work I do is in, in schools. I'm, I work in schools quite a lot, um, as a, a deputy head of an English faculty and, uh, I had an incident a few weeks ago where I was involved in a a physical confrontation between two students and I had to get in and and separate them. Um, And in doing so, I suffered some damage um, to my left hand, so I can't use it very well. And uh, it's it's affected the way that I live my life day to day at the moment. I can't uh, lift heavy shopping. I can't do yoga or exercise because I can't put my body weight on it. uh, And I can't pick up my children. So I have to use my, my right side for most activities now. And uh, it's suffice to say, you can probably imagine I was quite angry about that for a while, uh, about the fact that somebody else's choices to get involved and uh, be aggressive with each other led to me sustaining something that I have to deal with. And uh, I'm trying to understand why that happened. And uh, it was a few few days afterwards that I was given uh, some information about the two students involved. And uh, I learned enough of their home lives and what they're going through at home to suddenly realise that uh, for a few moments of my life, I felt unsafe and I felt a bit of pain. But uh, those students live in pain. And uh, I think that's perhaps to an extent part of the reason I went through that experience is to when, when I see them now in the corridors and I look at them in classrooms and I converse with them, I don't do it with anger anymore. I do it with a bit more empathy because... I'm going through a little bit of pain but they're going through a lot and uh, that's basically what the speech is going to be based around is that experience and uh, a couple of other supporting bits of evidence but
1: wow that's that's powerful that is powerful and that is what it's about that's you've got it in a nutshell they must have had their own stories and you've got to find their stories or they wouldn't have acted like that Mm. so that's really inspiring
0: you're right when you talk about the story and I think sometimes what we I think sometimes what we do long enough and it comes back to the saying I suppose is is quite often we judge the book by its cover Uh, and I suppose what we're doing as we go around in life is we're glancing at people's covers of their books and deciding if we want to read them or not (laughs) and quite often we'll just glance at the cover and go ah does a lot of my my kind of book and we'll walk past it Mm -hmm. but I've come to recognise that uh, sometimes when we take that little bit of time to maybe open the book and read a chapter or read a few pages. And even if we just see a little bit of somebody's story, um, I think we'd leave enriched for having done it. And, uh, you know, I think uh, sometimes you you find people's stories that you really do connect with. I mean, my wife and I have been married for uh, just coming up to eight years now. And uh, we had uh, an opportunity to share quite a big portion of each other's stories. And, uh, I didn't know everything about my wife's story before we were married. And uh, it's only as uh, the years have gone by that we've come to learn a little bit more about each other. And, uh, the more I read of her story, the more I, I really do feel for her because I, I know now some of the things that she's been through and she's had a difficult time of it. And, uh, if I'd not taken the time to really become invested with her story and help her, then I think that I would have missed something tremendously valuable, uh, so I think that that's really something I've taken out of this conversation is perhaps that uh, there are people in my life, I think, that I haven't really connected with their story yet, and maybe I should. And uh, if that's one thing I walk away with from this interview, then I'm glad it happened because that's something that uh, certainly I've felt and I hope other people have as well. How can people get in touch with you, Joe? What are the best ways for people to get involved? And is there anything that you're doing at the moment that people can can get involved with any projects or uh, any initiatives
1: I have um, just a new website that is that is live so it's um, joe-berry.com and then I have my charity website which is building and I'm on Twitter and Instagram and so I'm doing at the moment lots of I'm calling them pop-up caring zooms which are free and so they're just dotted around on LinkedIn or Instagram and I just invite people to come and I, I create a safe place to to really listen to how people are and people have a chance to just say what's going on. And that's part of, I feel people need listened, listen and there's so much trauma around at the moment. Then I'm doing my courses. Um, next one's on conflict. I do lots of one-to-one if people want to work with me Um um, so I've got my sort of charity hat on and then my kind of, I'm calling it my Joe Berry brand, which makes me laugh. <laughs> so the, my charity self, I am doing a lot of work with young people and in schools, obviously virtually. So if anyone's listening, like me to come into the school. Um, the funding will have finished by then, but I'm sure I'm going to get some more funding because I want to carry on doing it. Some of the most meaningful work I've done in the last few years has has been with young people and I just love having an opportunity to listen to them and, and um I say empower them but they are empowered already but give them space to really share their dreams and their visions and their 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 views of how they'd like the world to be and what they want to do and and I also work a lot with them to develop resilience and self-care and self-compassion. And what I find amazing is when I speak with young people, um they and Steve, we just trust me. They know. They know it's safe, you know. And I don't take that lightly. I don't take that very, very seriously. And and then you know, I love to develop smaller workshops after my initial talk. But I'm really available because I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> so if anyone has a need of anything that I've said that can either contribute to your business or to you or a relationship or courses, then please get in touch.
0: Mm, absolutely, I, I would echo that if you are a in an organization or the leader of an organization or you've got conflict in your business in your group in your relationships or if you're anything involved with a a school uh, that would benefit from any of the topics that joe's discussed i would wholeheartedly encourage you to uh, to reach out to joe and what we'll do is we'll put all of joe's links uh, and uh, information into the show notes so that you can access that as easily as possible uh, and get in touch with joe but it only remains for me to thank you very much for giving me the time uh, for this episode and uh, for what you've shared so selflessly because I can imagine that that's been quite a journey uh, in terms of finding the courage to share that story but then using it to to help so many other people so I'm very grateful to you for what you've given to the podcast and uh, I can only wish you the very best with all the things that you've got uh, coming up.
1: Oh thank you so much Simon I really appreciate how how this has landed in you and and what it's, you know, what you shared about your story and there's so much resonance there, you know, um, and I can't wait to hear your speeches and to, you know, stay connected. I found it really inspiring to do this podcast with you. So thank you.
0: Thank you for tuning into today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore simonspeaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.